like to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Matthew chapter 18. As it was mentioned earlier, I am preaching on forgiveness, <clears throat> and it is a two-part message. Um, the forgiveness that we receive from God is the same forgiveness that we need to give others, especially within the body of Christ. So um, what I would like to do, first of all, is define what forgiveness really is. And so I got six points from Unger's Bible Dictionary on forgiveness itself, and then I want to explain what the Greek means about forgiveness and how that fits in, and then we'll get through um, this passage. But what I'd like to do is read through the passage uh, really quick. I'm going to start in verse 15 of chapter 18 of Matthew. And he says, And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if the, he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Then we have Peter asking a question. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I, have, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you for this opportunity to share your word with this body of Christ. I pray, God, that you will anoint us with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what it is he is trying to teach us in this, about forgiveness especially, 
but Lord, uh, that we uh, act upon the forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness for us, and that we in turn can return that forgiveness to others who have sinned against us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Unger's Bible Dictionary, we have the word forgiveness there, and this is what he says about it. There's six, like I said, there's six points, and he starts off by saying, forgiveness is one of the most widely misunderstood doctrines of scriptures. It is not to be confused with human forgiveness, which merely uh, remits a penalty or charge. That's all we can do. Uh, we cannot remove the sin. God is the one that can remove the sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So all we can do is we can lift the burden from them, but we cannot remove the sin, okay? I want to get that clear. But God still tells us to forgive, and I'll show you what that is all about here in just a second. So divine forgiveness, on the other hand, is one of the most complicated and costly undertakings demanding complete satisfaction to meet the demands of God's outraged holiness. So number one, in the Old Testament, the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them, Leviticus 4.20. However, Old Testament sacrifices only had a typical significance and served as a covering. They just covered that one sin, okay? As we find in the Hebrew word kafar means to cover or to aid, as it says in Deuteronomy 21.8 or Genesis 50, verse 17. From, so it is to cover, uh, it is a covering from sin until the appointed time when God should deal finally with sin through the death of Christ. So it was looking forward to Christ's sacrifice in the Old Testament. And the thing is, is once you have sinned, you have to go back and sacrifice an un, a unblemished lamb to cover that sin once again. So it was a continual thing. Um, it is thus uh, obvious that the transaction was to, uh, to some extent incomplete on the divine side. Of necessity, sin was permitted. However, the offender received full forgiveness, as we see in Romans 3.25 and Acts 17.30, just for examples. Secondly, for the unsaved... What is forgiveness for the unsaved? Forgiveness under this consideration is never an isolated operation, but always connected as an integrated part of the whole divine undertaking for man called salvation. Forgiveness is only one of the many transformations wrought of God in the unsaved in response to simple faith in Christ. When the, when the sinner comes to know Christ as his personal Savior or her personal Savior, that's what he's talking about. Then it's salvation. Then we become sanctified and justified through Jesus Christ. Um, this, thus, forgiveness of sin is not equivalent to salvation. It is merely negative. All else in the comprehensive term salvation is gloriously added. Uh, John 10, 28 and Romans 5, 17. Thirdly, for the believer who sins... The great foundational truth respecting uh, the believer in relationship to his sins is the fact that his salvation comprehends the forgiveness of all his trans, uh, trespasses, past, present, and future. So far as condemnation is concerned, Romans 8, uh, verse 1, 
Colossians 2.13, John 3.18, and John 5.24. Since Christ has vicariously borne all sin, and since the believer's standing in Christ is complete, he is perfected forever in Christ. So when a believer sins, he is subject to chastisement from the Father, but never to condemnation, okay? We can never lose our salvation is what he's saying here. Um, so, but uh, he never give, uh, gives us condemnation with the world. And that's 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, and 32. By confession, the Christian is forgiven and restored to fellowship, 1 John 1, 9. If it needs to be remembered that were it not for Christ's finished work on the cross and his present intercession in heaven, the least sin would result in his banishment from God's presence and eternal ruin. Fourthly, we see sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. Persistent or scandalous sin in the believer in the face of divine grace and his perfect standing in Christ may eventuate in a sin resulting in physical death. If any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and, he, and God shall forgive him life, uh, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. 1 John 5, 16, and comparing with 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Both John 15 and 1 Corinthians 11.30 point out that God reserves the right to cut off the physical life of a believer who has ceased to be a worthy witness in the world. Such a cutting off does not mean that he, the one who has died is lost or that he will lose his salvation. It merely signifies more drastic chastisement to the end that a believer might not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11, 31-32. Now, the fifth one is the unpardonable sin. Jesus teaches about the unpardonable sin. This was a specific sin possible only during the earthly life of our Lord when he was ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Under those unique conditions, a person who attributed to Satan the power of the Holy Spirit so visibly and openly manifesting manifested was guilty of this particular sin for this reason then there for this reason there could be no forgiveness in the age then present or in the age immediately following Matthew 12:22 through 32 and Mark 3:22 through 30 since no such conditions exist in this age in other words Jesus is not walking on the earth right now so that those who are accusing him of wrongdoing and stuff like that are showing that uh, that's what the Pharisees did when we see it in the Gospels. The Pharisees always attributed to Jesus the power to do the miracles through Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, which is attributing the power of God to a demon. And that's blasphemy, and that's unpardonable. So it only happened when Jesus was on the earth. An unpardonable sin and the gospel of whosoever will cannot coexist. Were such a sin possible today, every gospel invitation would specifically shout, um, shut out those who had committed such a trespass. And God, we know that God does not do that. And then the sixth point <coughs> of uh, defining forgiveness is as an obligation among men. That's what we're going to discuss here in this parable. The believer who belongs to this age 
is exhorted to be kind unto other believers and unbelievers, to believers and unbelievers as well, tender hearted and forgiving to one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. The basis of the plea for such a forgiveness is that one has been himself so graciously forgiven. So, in this passage, in one of the verses, it says, um, like in verse 27, uh, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. That's what this word is all about. It's also found in Matthew chapter 6, uh, in verses 9 through 15. Let's turn there, if you would, please. That's where Jesus is teaching his disciples through the um, Sermon on the Mount how to pray. And so he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Okay? That's the same word that we're going to see in our parable that we're going to look at. For, uh, forgive us our debts or trespasses. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Jesus is teaching we're supposed to give other people. Yes, he is. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their transgressions, their trespasses, their sins that are against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. It's plain and simple. It's right there in red and white. Same thing with this, verse 35. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from uh, your heart. Okay, so let's go into this parable here. Um, when Jesus was teaching this, we actually take verses 15 through uh, 20 as church discipline. Okay, and he starts it out by saying that uh, if your brother uh, sins or sins against you, go and reprove him in private. So that's the first step. You go and tell him, hey, you know, what you just did offended me, and I want to let you know so that you can make the right steps in uh, seeking forgiveness. But if he does not listen to you, then you take two or more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be con uh, confirmed. That's right out of uh, uh, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. In other words, as an unsaved person. What are we supposed to do with an unsaved person? Share the gospel with them. So even though this is a believer, a fellow brother, who has fallen in his sin against you, and you go to them and you tell him, and he refuses all the different aspects that you've tried to get him to repent and come back into fellowship with you, then you're to treat him as the lost person that he used to be. And again, you don't give up on him. You keep trying to get him to do that. But this is church discipline here. 
Truly I say to you, whoever or whatever you uh, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, basically, the things that we forgive here on earth is forgiven in heaven. The, for, the things that we don't forgive here on earth is not forgiven in heaven. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6, in verses 14 and 15. So now we see that after he's taught all this, Peter is very uh, inquisitive about the fact that, you know, gee, um, so if my... He asked this question, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, he, got, he understood that Jesus was teaching, you've got to forgive your brother when they offend you. And so Jesus was, or Peter was asking the question, how often do I forgive him? It's up to seven times. And he was thinking that was a great number because in the rabbinical teaching of that time, they allowed you to forgive a person in the same day three, the, uh, up to three times. So Peter doubled it and then added one. Seven's a complete number, right? It's the holy number. <laughs> so maybe he was doing it that way. I don't know. But he was thinking he was doing the person a great favor if he could forgive him up to seven times. And Jesus blows it right out of the water. He answers him by saying, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So now Jesus didn't give that number just as a flippant thing. Okay, we know that 70 times seven is 490. He doesn't mean to tally Okay, you're, you're, you're at uh, 450, okay, you're getting close, all right? No, he's, what the intent is that it's, you're not supposed to be keeping track. I don't know about you, but I am at the age now where I forget what number I was at a lot of times when I'm counting something, so I've got to start back over again. Okay, that's kind of the concept right here, is that you do not keep track of how many times you have forgiven someone. Now, this means, the, the idea is the same offense, okay? So, I, I, earlier, um, in the earlier hour, I used the idea of lying. That's probably one of the easiest sins we can commit against each other is lying. And so, a person comes up to you, and they tell you something, and, and you find out that it was a lie. And so, you go to them, well, your lying just offended me. And so then they're supposed to say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. Will you please forgive me? Okay, now you've won your brother. You've opened up the relationship again. But if he refuses to listen to you, or he does that, and then he comes back, oh, you know what, I, I lied again. I lied about this. So you're, Jesus is saying, no matter how many times they lie to you, you're supposed to forgive them. And then we'll see from what direction that comes from. So then now he goes into a parable to teach the heavenly truth of forgiveness. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So the, the king is God, okay? The servants or slaves are us, those who believe in him and serve him and do the work that we're supposed to be doing. And so um, he wished to settle accounts with his slaves, and when, you know, so God looks at us and he says, wow, you have such a great debt, and I know you cannot in any way, shape, or form pay it, pay it off, so I'm going to send my son to pay the debt for you, okay? That's grace and mercy. Uh, so when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. 
That's a lot of money. So Jesus is using the money value of a debt, okay? And so the 10,000 talents would be well over $10 million, okay? A debt that's impossible to pay. And so that's what Jesus is trying to portray here is the fact that, that we have such a great debt of sin that there's no way we can repay it. It has to be through Jesus Christ. But this is what happens. The king uh, is listening to him. And, but since he did not have any means, I'm in verse 25, to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Okay, so one solution that the, Lord, that the, the king comes up with is, okay, I'll sell you, your wife, and all your children and all that you own to maybe satisfy part of the debt, okay? But he'd be, he was willing to take that as payment of the debt. The, you look at 10,000 talents, okay, ten, over $10 million, and you look at the day's wages of that, which is a denarii, okay? A penny in our, in our uh, economy was a day's wage. So you take a penny, and how many <laughs> years would he be working as a slave? not as a servant, but as a slave, would be the fact that he'd be working for over 190,000 years just to pay off one talent. One talent. This is what the guy's reaction was like. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience on me, he's begging, and I will repay you everything. How? You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, but expecting different results every time you do it. This man was insane. There's no way. What did he have in mind that he could actually do to satisfy that huge debt? So the Lord of that slave, verse 27, felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So that's the first step that we need to have in our heart to forgive anybody, is compassion. The compassion is, for God so loved the world that, God, that uh, God gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? I wish I had time to really break that verse down. That's just awesome to, to do that. But here, that compassion, that agape love, is what it talks about in John 3.16. For God so loved, that's agape. And that's where God chose to love us, and he sacrificially loves us and unconditionally loves us. That's the same love we are to have for one another, especially in the time when we are offended, sinned against. So he forgave him. That's this word here that we just went through. I didn't know if I'd read it to you, but... Um... Oh, yeah, here it is. So this... this uh, verb to forgive in the Greek um, is the action, uh, wait, uh, the future tense, means it's something that will happen in the future. Um, it's a phimi, and it means to send away, dismiss, to remit, to forgive debts, sins, or offenses. The expression to forgive sins means to remove the sins from another. Only God is said to be able to do this. 
So when he asks us to forgive as he has forgiven, that means to forgive sins is not to be uh, uh, disregarded. It means not to disregard them and to do nothing about them, but to liberate a person from their guilt and the power of that sin that is on their life now. But we can't remove the sin. Only God can remove the sin. We are to ask God to forgive us our sins, to remove them away from us so that we do not stand guilty of them or under their power. We are never expected to forgive the sins of others because we have no power to do that. But we are expected to forgive others, as it said in Matthew 6, 12. And this means we should do everything in our power to see that the sins of others are removed from them through the grace and power of Jesus Christ. So we need to bring them to the cross. So what this looks like is whenever someone approaches you and says that they have sinned against you, then the first thing you should say, let's go to Jesus then. Let's pray and ask for forgiveness together. That's what that means. That's the only thing we can do. But then we can say, okay, I do forgive you, and you don't dwell on it. You don't dwell on it. So the next time they come to you and ask you for forgiveness, especially for the same sin, you don't hold it over their head. Well, you did this last time. What about that? There was a time when my wife and I had uh, a falling out at times, but she came to me and asked for forgiveness. And I really had to search my heart for this, and I had to do exactly what Christ said. And that's, that's what I told her. I said, because Jesus forgave me, I forgive you. Well, then a few months later, it comes along, and we were in a little bit of argument, not deciding on something right, and it wasn't going my way is what it was. And so... And so I, I took that, that sin she'd asked for forgiveness for out of the closet and brought and held it over her head. And she said very wisely to me, she says, have you not forgiven me of that sin? And I said, yes, I did. As a matter of yeah, I did. And she goes, then why do you keep holding it over my head? You truly have not forgiven me then. That was the eye-opener. And that was beautiful. And from that, I learned great. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Once you have forgiven someone, you need to try to forget it. And then every time that Satan throws that at you as a means of enticement to sin, you need to remind yourself. Go to Jesus. This is what I do. Every time anything like that comes up to me, I, this is what I do. I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you have forgiven me of sins that I've committed. I have forgiven this person of the sin that they have committed because they've asked me to. And now Satan's trying to throw it back in my face to say that I, he's trying to hold it over my head and saying, have you truly forgiven this person of that sin? If you, if you had, then you wouldn't keep thinking about it. And so I just give it to Jesus and he takes care of Satan. He takes care of the, the thoughts and they go away. I, I make it sound so simple, but it is an a discipline that you have to try to do. So here we are. The Lord felt compassion for uh, the man, for the slave, and he released him and forgave him the debt. So now we have another a, a flip side. Now that servant goes out from the presence of that king, and he meets a fellow servant. So that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, a denarii is a day's wage, so that would be equal to $10, okay? 
And so 100, day, 100 days later, he could have the debt paid off. Okay? And so his fellow, or actually he grabs him, he seizes him, and he begins to choke him. Right? He's grabbed him by the throat. He's, give me my money. Okay? Pay back what you owe, is what it says here. Verse 29, so his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Okay? That's feasible. Again, it would take 100 days for him to do that if he didn't eat anything or whatever. But it would still, it's still payable. That debt is. So when his fellow slaves saw, or he was unwilling, verse 30, however, but went and threw him in prison, that's the debtor's prison, until he should uh, pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. Okay, that, anytime you see the word wicked in it, that's a reference to the fact that the man was never saved to begin with, okay, because of the wickedness. That there's no room for what this man did in a Christian's life. If you find yourself acting like this uh, slave who was just forgiven this huge amount of debt and you can't forgive someone a little tiff, then you have to look at your life and say, am I really saved? Because he says, you wicked slave, I forgave you, that's that same word again, all that debt because you entreated me. You asked me. 1 John 1, 9. Okay? If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Only God can do that. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 33. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you. What's the definition of mercy? Well, first of all, the way I remember it is, you've got to remember what grace is. Grace is you're getting something you don't deserve, which is God's favor. Mercy is God withholding what you really do deserve, which is punishment. So that's what this king is reminding him. He says, I showed you all the mercy that I had, Shouldn't you have shown the same mercy? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The heart is the seat of knowledge. It's your mind. It's your act of, of your will. You, just like God chose to forgive that man in his compassion, so we are to choose to forgive whoever offends us with the same compassion, with the intent of restoring the relationship. And when Jesus is teaching on all that, when you look at all the stuff that Jesus was teaching and he talks about us forgiving others as, they, as God has forgiven us, Paul writes about it. We've mentioned it in Ephesians chapter 4. The fact is, is we need to be just like God. For we may not even know that that person is saved or unsaved. And then they come to us, and if we're acting like God, because we are his children, you know, one of the greatest traits I can ever experience as a father is to see my children taking on some of my characteristic, doing what I do, reading God's word, studying it, being 
uh, in church, things like that. But not just that, but the things I've taught them in life. And one of the greatest things that my granddad could ever have taught me was how to swing a hammer. Okay? Because I went into the building trades after I learned how to do that. My dad was the one that helped me perfect it so that I could drive a crooked nail. Okay? That was awesome. So every time I'm building something, I'm thinking of my dad and my granddad. They're both in heaven. So the thing is here, though, is you've got to forgive your brother from your heart. It's the seat of your understanding. It's the seat of your knowledge. It's the seat of the will. And if you don't choose to forgive, then there's punishment. It's plain and simple right here. So with that being said, you know, we've encountered this. We've encountered God right now. So I need you to reflect on your life. Here we are. We're standing at the threshold of heaven, and we're seeking God. What do I do? I mean, if you've ever asked God a prayer, and you're wondering why it's not getting answered, number one, you could be asking for the wrong intent, but basically it's do you have sin in your life? And one of the easiest sins to hold and harbor in our hearts is this unforgiveness. It needs to be given over to God. You need to ask for forgiveness for the unforgiveness so that you can forgive your fellow uh, Christian, whether it's male or female, and uh, surrender your life to Christ.